Hello, Sam. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So uh, we're going to do a little reversal in roles today after um, our last chat and meet up. Uh, so I get to interview you after you've done the most epic of epics, the spine, the full, the full fat spine race, 268 miles of it. And so, yeah, let's chat all things spiny. There's so many questions. Um and even not not even just including feet questions <laughs> that, that I want to know. But firstly, congratulations. Yes, thank you. Um, this is a bit of a come down for you, isn't it? Because last week you were interviewing Camille Heron, and now you're interviewing little old me. Yeah, <laughs> but she's done the spine. She, I, I think she would fully admit she wouldn't even want to. So uh, you're you're yeah. you're just That's as awesome it. in my eyes. She would definitely have the ultra lean by the end of the spine, that's for sure. <laughs> Did you? No, but the, the guy that came in probably about half an hour behind me did really badly and I'd seen him sort of up the course. I can't mm. remember the, the chap's name now, but I was I saw him at Alston and I thought, flipping it, I don't know how you're going to get to the end of this race because he was like sort of doubled over, his, his back had gone. Um, but I had not realised that uh, talking to people afterwards that it was something that he'd he'd, he'd had a few times before in races. I think he'd done it the year before and, and came in in the same way, sort of like doubled over uh, to one side. And he was just uh, every time I saw him at any of the checkpoints, he was, um, shall we say, not begging, but sort of um, trying to coerce the medics into letting him have more codeine. <laughs> oh, keep going! Oh, crikey! Oh, that's such a hard line for the medics to take, isn't it? I mean, it's just, yeah. What what one of them one of them said? Um, I was talking to one of them that I'd spoke to in on the summer race, and she was just saying, "It's just like a fact that some people on the race won't get to the finish without really strong painkillers." Mm. Um, and I'd kind of, I'd sort of. I sort of had some knowledge of this from my summer race. So in the summer, I did, obviously did Challenger North, did the yeah. top section, 160 miles. And, um, and I had um, co-codamols with me, so some, you know, some strong paracetamol, codeine, um, painkillers. And I didn't anticipate having to use them. I just bought a, a box of them from when I had, like, knee pain and that someone had given to me. <laughs> and um, obviously not, not the best thing to do. I always have a prescription. Um but I've got them as sort of emergency use that, you know, I know, I'd heard that, you know, your feet can get so bad that you need strong painkillers. So I've got them with me, but uh, my blisters are so bad in the summer that I was, I was taking them from probably about Alston, which was like, so probably the second checkpoint in, um, on that race. Um, and I took them like, like religiously every four hours until the end of the race. And it was the only thing that took the edge off the pain and suffering and it just kind of yeah you've got to be careful that you don't because you know when on the race like that you're kind of tired all the time and and you like question yourself has it been four hours or has it been four days um, how many hours has it been or has it been four minutes since i took them yeah, so you're never yeah. quite <laughs> you're in a bit of a weird world i don't know time. is there um is there a is there any um data on on codeine i mean obviously everyone knows you can't take ibuprofen but paracetamol yeah. is okay. 
but I don't know yeah, about codeine. Mm-hmm. Well, well, codeine, I suppose it's it's an it's an opiate, isn't it? So it's one of the lesser ones that, and 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 I think I'd had it occasionally. I'd taken it when I'd had like really bad knee pain over the last couple of years. So I think I built up a bit of a tolerance to it anyway. So when I first took them, they were quite strong, and these two sort of sort of knocked me out a little bit. Um, but years of sort of taking them when I needed them, kind of, I think I've built up a bit of an immunity to them. So having like one, I was only having one tablet, so normal dose would be having two, but I was having one every four hours. Um, and I didn't, I didn't rely, and that was in the on the summer race when my when my feet were so bad. But on on this race, on the the full winter race, it was as expected. So people had sort of said to me going into the race that. Um, your feet won't be as bad as the summer because the summer was a bit of a fluke thing anyway, that it was like super torrential rain, which turned to hot weather, which made your feet swell. And then everybody just got blisters. There was, you know, sort of 90% of the field was struggling with blisters. But in winter, allegedly, you know, because it's cold, your feet might rub, you might get blisters, but that your feet don't swell in the same kind of way, which was which was okay. true because... I think by the end, by sort of by the last checkpoint in the summer, my feet were starting to swell and I could see like, you know, my feet started to look like baby's feet. There was no veins or anything, no definition there, just like splodge. Um, and my feet just rubbed constantly. Whereas um, with with this race, with the full spine, my feet didn't swell until the day after the race when I sat in the car to come home uh, and like the three and a half hours or whatever it took to get back to Derby. I could just feel that I just felt like pressure on my feet and I could feel feel them swelling. By the time I got home, they were like baby's feet. Well, fortunately, I was allowed to then get on the sofa and be weighted on hand and hand and swollen foot by the wife and girls, which is a rare occasion in our in our house because there is no sympathy in our house, especially when it comes to anything related to running. So if 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 you're ill, you, you're lucky to get a bit of sympathy. But if you've got something, uh, an injury or something related to something you've done by choice, which is running, then normally there is zero um, empathy and uh, care and uh, sympathy. But for <laughs> somehow for this race, it seemed to bring out the uh, the mothering instincts in in, uh, in 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 my wife Kate and the girls. They rallied around and brought me drinks and propped me up and brought me painkillers and allowed me to just sort of vegetate on the sofa and look at the fire and watch the TV. So it was quite <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. So uh, for any of you sharp-eyed viewers who suddenly wondered why I've jumped to my sofa, uh, we're, we're having some technical issues here and Sam was, uh, was uh, out of sync which he probably was when you were on the spine as well. So, um, so tell me, um, gosh, I mean, there's so much. So obviously, you know the spine so well. You've been on the media team for the last few years. You've been on the safety team. You've worked at the checkpoints. Um, what was it like being on the other side? Mm. Um, I suppose, and yeah, like you say, I know, I, I do know the race sort of inside out now, having. You know, sort of briefly seen bits of it when being on checkpoint and stuff and getting to know parts of the team. Then with the media team, basically I, I saw I saw every single checkpoint 
being on media team and sort of was everywhere at different points of the race, seeing bits of the landscape that I, that I, you know I'd not run over myself personally. But then I think doing the summer challenge in North was the thing that kind of pieced everything together. And I, I, I know obviously going into this race that it was only there was one section that I didn't know, which was the section from um, from Hebden Hay up to um halls which is actually quite a big section like it's 60 well 61 miles officially on the uh on the on the route but i think i ended up doing about 63 something like that possibly just uh, mm. a few nav areas <laughs> here and a there. bit of a detour was there <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i think i kind of I, I knew i knew what was coming but i didn't know what was coming if that makes sense um i kind of knew what i was up against as far as the terrain and everything and the routes i knew that there would, wouldn't really be any major surprises on the bit that the bit that i hadn't wrecked in the middle mm. um because there was you know i know there was you know i know all of the big climbs and everything so i was kind of prepared for that in the lead up to the race the thing that i was worried about was you know, we had all that horrible weather leading up to the race live like over the last couple of months where it's just been continuous like rain constant all the time mm, and it always yeah. felt like it was dark, raining and cold. And that was like worst fear for the race was it raining the whole time. Cold, you know, absolutely fine. Wind to a certain degree, not that you know, I know that you're either in the wind or you're out the wind or you're sheltered from the wind. So that wasn't as much of an issue. Um, but it was the fear of setting off in Edale in torrential rain and it just raining the whole way up. And realistically, it can't rain for a whole week, can it? But it but, did feel like that the weather had been like for the last <laughs> couple of months. It did feel like so that. I think, yeah. <laughs> and, I don't, you know, the wreckies I'd done and stuff, uh, you know, that was stupid recce that I did which I feel like I had to do which was like a 50 miler through the night and I set off in the rain and it rained for the whole night and I got absolutely hammered with torrential rain for like seven or eight hours straight and I got through every single bit of kit that I'd got um and I felt like I needed to do that as a recce but at the same time I thought that was really demoralizing and I, how am I going to feel like when I'm like four or five days into the race and it's been raining nonstop and I've got no dry kit left because there's only so much you can take. I mean, you know, they're really generous with the drop bag and everything you get to, officially, you get 20 kilos of stuff to take. And my bag was full, uh, but there's no way it was 20 kilos. It was, you know, a few estimates were sort of about 12 to 50 um, but some people had some massive kit bags, huge bags, like almost the, like double again, the size of mine. Mm. And there were, you know, the, nobody was really, they didn't really, I've seen them weigh them before, but I think that's only when they're like sort of suspect. If someone picks it up and it obviously feels like it's 50 kilos, <laughs> then they'll weigh it and they'll make, make them take it out of it. But mm. I think, you know, all the will in the world, you, uh, however big your bag is, you would never have enough kit dry kit to make sure that you stayed dry for you know six or seven days if it was raining every day so that was like my main concern going into the race but obviously sorry can I just ask is your kit bag is it the same kit bag that's taken to the checkpoints or do you have different kit bags for different checkpoints no it's the same one so at the the start um you know when you get your tracker fitted at the very start at Edale that's when you 
you uh, hand your your drop bag in and that bag it's got your, your race number on it and it follows you all the way up the race so the logistics team teams like do amazing really for you know they're only a, a small group of lads probably like four or five of them and they're constantly ferrying the bags up and down the course mm. so you've got people that so not only have you got like they've got to chase all the all the leaders all the really fast guys they've got to get ahead ahead of them and drop their stuff off then they've got to come back for all the slow people and move their bags up and everything and then they've got to deal with people dropping out and getting their their kit bags because people come from other you know all around the world come from another country and they if their race is over and they decide that they want to get on a train and go home then they don't want to be waiting around for days for their kit bag to turn up so for their drop bag so you know they have to like rush bags around and ferry people around and stuff so yeah so, so you can never really i don't think you can you can never really have an, enough kit with you to sort of, if the weather was that bad, I think you just had to sort of face the fact that you're going to be in wet stuff and, and try and keep, keep warm. But that wasn't the case. The, the, the case was super, super cold temperatures. And I've never, ever, I've never, ever been, I've never ran in, in temperatures that cold before. I've been, you know, years and years of going snowboarding and stuff in my uh, misspent youth. And, I, th- I was in Canada in minus 20 snowboarding and uh, and I remember thinking you know that's cold but we had minus 15 and they said it could have been minus 20 with the wind chill upon cross fell really um, wow yeah and it's that 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 bit leading up to so I was you know I've just been going through my my race write up which I need to get to you because it's too I need to cut it down it's too big it's massive I don't care uh, I was re-re- send it everyone will, <laughs> send it it's fine <laughs> I want it all <laughs> and then I was looking through the section um uh, sort of dealing with that night so coming out of Langdon Beck so we've kind of gone into Langdon Beck and it was hot the weather was horrible because it was cut it turned um because i think that we dropped down a little bit uh, in height the weather had gone from being like snow and and ice and everything to being a bit sleety and rainy and just and windy and, and then everything was a bit wet and slidey and stuff because of the ice mm. um and that was really miserable going into langdon back um but as soon as we got to the section where you kind of crossed the river and went up to the checkpoint it seemed the temperature just seemed to plummet again and you could you were really aware of the fact that it was you know very very cold yeah um got into the checkpoint and they'd they'd held the race that a few points um so we got in at about sort of 10 p.m uh, and they decided that they were going to let the race go again at 11 p.m so it didn't really affect us because you know the people i was with we were like gonna have a a two-hour sleep anyway and then set off again. So I had a, like a two and a half hour sleep and, and missed missed these guys that I'd run with, and they sort of set off. But I, you know, I wasn't too fussed. Um, but coming out of that checkpoint and going, so there's a diversion from that point. So because the weather was so bad, they cut out the section with cauldron snout. So oh, if yeah. you know about that section, so mm. you follow normally you follow the river from Middleton all mm. the way along. And you've got these horrible boulders that are at the side of the the trail basically disappears at the side of the river and you're yeah. faced with this like boulder field and, the, and you've and got the to get across the, yeah that's it so you've got to get get across these boulders first so for me that was the worst thing in the summer because they were covered in slime 
um, and it felt like you could make no progress on them. It was so slow. So obviously they decided that they were they were obviously covered in ice and the river was high. But then you've got Cauldron Snout, which is you know the famous waterfall, which even in the summer, um, that was quite fear inspiring. Like you sort of everything's wet, even though it was summer and it was dry. Obviously waterfall, there's water everywhere, spraying all over the rocks, and you physically have to put your you put your poles away and physically climb using your hands so it's a proper scramble up some sections that in the summer it was dodgy um so you can sort of see the logic in the safety team saying no that's a it's a bad idea for people to go there because somebody's going to end up slipping backwards and yeah and crack head open break their neck so the diversion was that you come out of Langdon Beck and instead of going along the river, you sort of turn right and you ended up getting onto what I assume is like an access road. But because obviously, because of all the snow and ice, it just, you know, there was, there was a couple of tie marks here and there, but basically it was just like a, mm. like sheet ice and, and, um, and snow go just like a gradual climb or to hike up Nick. Um, and it was at this point where, that was the coldest point for me. It was sort of, sort of probably about four o'clock in the morning, four or five in the morning, sort of the, you know, the, those, the witching hour sort of thing. Mm. Cold just seemed to just be coming at you and you could feel it trying to get through your layers. It was weird. It was, um, no matter how many layers you got on, so goggles on sort of, um, you know, neck gator thing over your face. I'd got, uh, one, two, three base layer, like a, a base layer, a t-shirt, another uh, puffer jacket on, and then a jacket, over, thick Gore-Tex jacket over the top of that. So I've got like five layers on, like proper mountain uh, fluffy mitts with hand warmers in. Um, I've got a woolly hat on. I've got my thing pulled up. I've got my hood up, both hoods up. I've got a thermal uh, leggings on and over the top of that like Gore-Tex uh, waterproof trousers over that and it mm-hmm. felt like if I stopped at any point for any but you know for any reason say if I'd slipped over and twisted an ankle or really hurt myself if I'd have stopped then it felt like you would be in serious danger of just freezing to death I think you'd get so cold so quickly that you would struggle to just be able to could even just taking your glove off to do something. So I took my glove off to get something out of my my uh, my waist pack, and mm. my hand just from that probably like thirty seconds, maybe a minute of faffing around with my hand out my glove to then putting it back in again. And bear in mind, I've got a, a hand warmer inside. You know, one of those hand warmers you can put inside your gloves. So I got that, and I was holding on to it inside yeah. my glove. It still probably took about forty minutes for my hand to get warm again, just mm. from having it out for those like thirty seconds. Yeah. So that's probably like the not the not the scariest point of the race, but that was one of the points where I thought there is real consequences to this race. It's not. Although the you know the route is the route, the weather is the weather. That point for me, kind of, it was like a bit of a realization that if something went wrong, you realize why you've got to have thirty-two items of, of mandatory kit that everybody whinges about and carry, and like because you've got to carry it. But if you needed that kit, then you know, Lindley, your hats off to you. You know, we need every single bit of kit for that. Yeah. Um, 
Gosh, so um, I love your technical description of of the layers. Um, Stu will have his will will have a heart attack when you're talking about a puffer jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, not a puffer jacket. It's a, what is it? A down jacket? It's a down jacket, isn't it? <laughs> it well, I don't know. Was it a down jacket? Was it a synthetic jacket? Was it? <laughs> it was. A, it was. A, it was actually. You know, the last year, the the montane jacket, spine jackets that they gave us. Yeah, that's so, synthetic. So, yeah, yeah, per, pertex, pertex one. So I probably, in hindsight, could have done with a proper, a proper down jacket. Yeah. But you know, yeah. I'd already spent a lot of money on kit, and because um, I'd already got a couple of these pertex jackets, I decided that I was going to use them. Do you think? Yeah. So, so, so that you would have changed. You know, perhaps in future, perhaps if you go back, you'll you would do that. Is there anything else you'd change about your kit? Um, anything else did anything else work for you particularly well or fail you yeah I think um I think the only thing that I think I'd got it all pretty much worked out you know I, I had all in my pack I carried in my main pack I carried all of this mandatory kit that I knew that I wouldn't have to touch so like sleeping bag inflatable ro- um, inflatable roll mat and bivy bag and stuff and then other things like um, ice spikes and stuff like that, they were in the top so that I could get to them, but I would have to take my bag off because your bag is so heavy that you kind of, you don't want to take it off unless you really have to. Mm. So it was only a couple of times in the whole race where I took it off between checkpoints just to do something and get something out because I I felt like, so I'd got pockets sort of on the front and on the side of that, and I'd also got like a Montane three litre waste waste pack as well, mm-hmm. which worked really really well. I was really pleased with that because I was in the lead up to the race. I'd not really had a lot of time to train with that. I'd, I'd got it, but I, I'd mm-hmm. not really. I'd gone out and said that I'd done, you know, training recce run, training run in full spine kit. But actually, in reality, it's never full spine kit. You, it's only when you actually do the race that you realise how much kit extra kit that you've got to carry. So. That worked really well. So in the front of there, I'd got sort of my handheld GPS, which I only used once. Actually, I only turned that on once in the whole race, mm. and that was on and that was on the Cheviots because it was uh, there was a couple of us that couldn't quite figure out where the path went. So we both got our proper handhelds out and looked at looked at that rather than looking at, at your watch. Mm. Um, Kit, I suppose the, the only mistake. Hmm. Sorry, I was going to ask. I was going to ask what pack you 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 had your main yeah pack. My, uh, yeah my, uh, Montane Gecko twenty liter okay yeah so that's a twenty twenty liter plus so I comfortably got all of the main bits in the in the, in the main body of it and then the side pockets that are like stretchy side pockets I've managed to st- sort of stuff food in them um, because some stuff can fall out of those packs the the they're great but side pockets I wouldn't trust. Um, having like gloves in there because if you're twisting and stuff, they can move around and pop out and fall on the floor and you don't notice. So I kept them mainly for food. So all the, you know, whatever food I'd got, I should have stuffed in those side pockets. Mm. And if they fell out, they fell out. That was, you know, that's it's only food. So it's not like losing a, you wouldn't want to lose like a, one of your really expensive Montane gloves. So mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and shoes? Shoes, yes. So I started in uh, my Merrill Agility 
peak, well, the peak agility fives they are. So they're the blue and black things that have got a built-in gator on them. So they're like a, a like a traditional like trail shoe, um, super grippy, nice cushioning. Um, and they've got like a, a zip cord type tightening thing on the inside that you sort of pull and lock. So it's not like a like a lace on the inside, and then it's a zip that goes from more or less the front and goes right up your ankle. Um, so it's similar to the, like the scarper ones that you've probably seen people running in. Um, the ones, so- yeah, the, the the ones I've got are the um, the Calibra G. That's uh, it. Yeah, so, so they're like Merrell's, Merrell's version. Merrell's version of them, and I absolutely loved them. So I got a pair. The, and I brought a, a half a size bigger than I normally. So I'm, you know, I'm only little, so um, I'm only an eight and a half normally on a good day in the in the shoes. Um, so I got a size nine, and they because I was worried from years and years of running in ultras and having a, you know what I thought was wide feet um, and liking to have like a wide toe box. They they felt pretty good. So in the summer I used some uh, Saucony trail shoes i can't remember the name of them now which ones they were uh, but they after about 100 miles they just they felt too narrow because it was swelling so i was worried about that so i'd also got as well as those merrells i'd also got a pair of size size nine and a half um ultra olympus uh brand new that i'd only sort of worn a couple of times around the house and i got them in my drop bag so that I knew that if my feet swelled, that I could I could put those on, and my feet won't, wouldn't be touching the side because they're super wide, and they're a size a full size bigger than I, I normally wear. So there won't be any issues with that. But it, it wasn't an issue. So I, I absolutely loved the Merrells, and I wore them quite happily to the end. So I'm not, that's not saying that I didn't get any blisters because I did. So. The main places I got blisters in the summer were on the side of my heels at the back. Um, so I spent a lot of time, like everyone does before the spine, um, moisturising my feet every night for about two months. So my feet were as soft as they could could be because it kind of goes against logic, really. you I always thought that, you know, if you had calloused feet and hard feet, that that would be the thing that would stop you from getting blisters because your feet aren't soft. Mm. But the reality is that, that, you know, if you read that book about fix your feet, how to fix your feet and everything, you realise that blisters form around a callus. So those calluses I had on my heels were the thing that gave me the horrific blisters in the summer. So I got rid of them, shaved them all off, got super soft feet. So the, on, the only issue I had with blisters was was early on, I got a bit of a hot spot under under my big toe on my left foot. So I stopped really early in the race, which would have been sort of dropping down out of tour side and going up the other side. So probably you know, not even 20 miles into the race, I'd stopped and I took my socks off and I taped my big toe with some spare K-tape that I'd got and I changed my socks. And I think that was the thing that stopped because that's what they're saying, to always be bothered, always stop and sort something out. Whereas in the past, I probably would have ignored it and waited to the next checkpoint. But I stopped and looked a bit silly at the side of the trail while everyone's sort of traipsing past at high speed and I'm sat there mm. fiddling my feet and everyone's thinking, well, his, his feet are going to be knackered if he's, uh, if he's done that, if he's doing that so early. Mm. But it was, it was, it was 
100% the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, it sorted that out. Uh, and then the only other blister that and it didn't really irritate me that much was uh, on my little toe on my left foot. I start, it started to rub um, on there. So I taped that fully. And during the course of the week, that toe, it ne- the blister never broke, but it became like a, it was, I've got some great photos of it. It became like a, like a balloon. Like, so the whole of my toe just turned into one giant blister that was like full of fluid. And my toenail was floating around inside this, <laughs> inside this balloon <laughs> of bodily fluids. Um, oh, so the, the kids loved it at the end when I was like showing them. It was like almost like a little fish tank with a, <laughs> with a toenail, toenail fish floating around in it. Um, and, it, and I can't believe it never, it didn't burst the whole time. I was thinking at some point it's going to burst and it's going to absolutely sting and really, yeah. really hurt. It never did. I just carried on taping it up at every checkpoint and did it they, never burst. Did you ever get your feet looked at? I mean, would they have burst it if they'd seen it? Well, yeah, this is the thing you see. So in the summer, it was all about seeing the medics. So everyone was queuing to see the medics on the way on the way out of checkpoint and stuff and get the feet taped up. But there was a message sent out before this race saying that the medics are there for real emergencies. They're not there to be your personal K-tape uh, applicator. Try and sort out your feet yourself. So I just assumed that the medics wouldn't touch your feet but i know that they did for some people if they had real issues yeah but yeah. i kind of got into yeah. the sort of mindset that rather than waiting to see a medic just get on with it yourself and i'd know i'd learn enough from summer race to know what i needed to do to my feet and i think you can only really you can only really find out that kind of thing yourself by just doing it you know you can't really do it in training because you're taping for a problem that's not even there so um, learning to sort of react to where getting hot spots and stuff and learning to put K tape on early and put it on areas that you know is gonna that you know are gonna rub if you've had that experience in in previous races. So on the whole, I was really, really chuffed with how my feet survived, although towards the end, um I always scents were always trick were always tricky anyway with your feet. So because your feet are like sort of moving around as you're coming down. And if you've got blisters on your toes, like the weight of coming downhill would sort of hurt your heel, but also hurt your toes as your as your foot slides into the front of your foot, sort of thing. So I knew that probably the worst thing would be towards the end of the race coming down, descending from say hook two. So yeah. This is what happened this year. So I'd naively said to Kate and the girls, because I knew that I was going to be finishing sort of Friday night. Um, and they came up Thursday night and had the day out Friday and then came and sort of waited at the race for me to come in. I'd got to hut two. Um, and I'd I'd sort of said, Oh, it's only, you know, it's only seven, seven and a half miles from hut two to the finish. And in the summer, I don't know how long it took me to get down there. It was a long time, but I naively thought I'm in better shape this, you know, this race. An hour and a half, and I'll be down. But actually, in reality, <laughs> it was, it was three hours. Uh, yeah, yeah, it took three hours to get that's, down. Yeah. Bless you. That's so funny. <laughs> An hour and a half. So I, I was mean, win- I was- yeah, you'd be winning it if you were doing it then. Yeah, well, I was I was wince, wincing with the pain of coming downhill with my blisters and it was all ice and uh, obviously by that point it was like gale force winds as well, 70 mile an hour. 
gusts of wind so you were struggling to just stay upright anyway using your poles to try and just stay on your feet um so it was a bit yeah it was a, it was a bit rough so but we got down eventually but um well, but i mean part of the i mean the you know, part of the the whole challenge is managing yourself um, and and your environment and and that sort of continuous like self check, making sure that you can keep going and 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 knowing what to do with yourself, as you say, whether mm-hmm. it's looking after your feet or or knowing when you know, when to stop to put on or take off a layer. Um, you know, which will prevent you from overheating or getting hypothermia. Um, I mean, that is all part of the challenge, isn't it? So it sounds like you've, you, you, you know, you ticked all the boxes there. I think, I think going into like the first day, I'd sort of, I'd purposely taken very various bits of kit with me, um, and trying to decide when when to use them, and I'd kind of figured that the start of the race I knew wouldn't be so cold. So going from starting off at Edel and going up onto Kinder, I was aware that it was, you know, sort of like plus, you know, two degrees or something like that. So relatively that was, you know, that was warm. So I wore my sort of thinner gear. So I've got like a Montaigne um, synthetic um, down jacket and then a Montaigne um, like Gore-Tex jacket to wear over that and some, yeah. some thinner gloves. Uh, and I sort of I knew that they would do me all the way to Hebden. And then I thought, I know it's going to go cold through the night. So if I'm going to change my kit, I'll do it at Hebden. So at Hebden, I'd got like a, a, a mountain equipment, really heavy, um, thick Gore-Tex jacket, which I knew would sort of keep out mm. every bit of weather. And then obviously I've got that thicker uh, Montaigne synthetic uh, jacket, down jacket to go underneath. And I'd also got uh, my... Um, can't remember what brand they are. I think the Burghaus uh, waterproof Gore-Tex dra- trousers, which are really heavy. Um, so I knew that if I swapped into them, I sort of anticipated at different points being able to swap back to the thinner, lighter stuff. Mm. But in reality, once I'd got that heavy kit on, that was it. It just stayed on for the rest of the race. And the only time, I think there was a point where I took the jacket off. I took my jacket off, the outer jacket off, and realised that, the sort of condensation and sweat had formed ice on my jacket on underneath and everything. And, <laughs> oh no, uh, really? Wow. Um, I thought, well, I don't know what to do for the best. I feel warm, but also I don't really want to get super cold with, you know, if you, if you sweat and, you, and all the condensation is turning to ice, then you're going to get cold anyway. So I think I kind of just, and you, you're not moving, you know, I'm not Jack Scott. We're not, I'm not moving fast. So the amount of body heat that you sort of retain by just, you know, moving at a steady pace. Mm. Um, I think it just seems, yeah. So as far as like the kit and everything, you know, I was really happy with the only thing I did do is actually I taken with me, you have to have um, warm gloves with fingers and you have to have waterproof mitts at the minimum. So I'd got, some montane um really good thick warm gloves with fingers and i'd also got some waterproof over mitts mm-hmm. um and test testing them you know they seemed absolutely fine i thought they'd be up to the job but actually once i got to i think it was like hawes 
at sort of like two in the morning and um my hands were so cold um even with you know with both both the over mitts and those gloves on yeah. don't know what it was i think it might have been a combination of just being hungry and tired and sort of my body sort of yeah. drawing all the heat into my body to try and keep warm but my hands were so cold so i was at the at the checkpoint uh i was chatting to the hiking hairdresser one of the I can't remember forget his name his actual real name that's his instagram <laughs> name uh, 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 the checkpoint who's on the media team and he was like um I've got some spare gloves. Don't know whether it's breaking the rules or not, but I've got some spare gloves if you want them. And uh, and I was like, yeah, it can't, it can't do any harm. So I took his his uh, montane like furry fur lined mitts, and basically I wore them for the rest of the race because it was so cold. You know, even there was no at no point did I feel like you know my hands are sweating. Even with like the you know, the glove warmers inside, it was they just felt perfectly regulated so yeah so and that's just reminding me i need to post them back to him he's given me his address to post them back so at the minute i've stolen them from him from him but i will post them back so if you listen to this or watching it i am posting them back person with no name but who is uh yes. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um sleep mm. i take it you had more than 52 minutes of sleep yes um so it's, it was funny because in here, by the way <laughs> yeah 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 oh, famously yeah and i'm surprised he had that actually because normally he just likes to fall asleep on his feet doesn't he? um <laughs> this this race i kind of i cut myself a bit of slack with sleep because in the summer um on the i went through the first night and i, I was planning on doing that again which i did it worked just make yourself really tired by going through the first night and sleep on the second night um in the summer i got three hours sleep at alston on the challenge north mm. and i woke up and felt like and felt like a new man and i was and i was and that, that was the only real sleep that i had during this the summer race i had like a nap at the side of the trail after that um, mm -hmm. the next day um so my plan was to sort of have three hours sleep at Hawes and then set off feeling like a new man. But the reality was that um, really I only got probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours at the very most at Hawes, just because of how noisy the checkpoint was as people coming and going, banging doors and shouting, really even with like ear, even with earplugs in and a face and like an eye mask on, mm. I still you know, just kept waking up and woke up before my alarm. And eventually I just got up and just thought I may as well just, just get on with it. Yeah. Um, so my plan to try and sleep twice for three hours went out the window and it turned into like an hour and a half there. And then the next night, I think I got like another hour and a half, maybe two hours. So I think I estimated that over the whole week, so six days, I got five and a half hours sleep. Oh, no. So it actually seems actually seems like quite a lot in spine world um when you like hear about people sort of doing it on an hour or two hours sort of thing um no i mean so, if you compare uh, that to wondering. jack i mean 52 minutes over four days versus yeah. five hours i don't know five. it's probably not it's probably not that not much more considering how much longer you were on your feet for yeah i think it's um yeah it's a funny one sleep because 
like when you talk when you when you talk about it in the real world afterwards like you say oh yeah i managed to get like five and hours five and a half hours sleep like if you got five and a five and a half hours sleep on a normal night in the week, you'd wake up the next day and you'd feel like horrendous. You'd think like, "Wow, I had a rough night's sleep." Mm. Well, the reality yeah. is that you've you've had that sleep for the whole week. Um, but it's it's strange. It's like that your whole world perspective changes on the spine. You, the days just become incredibly long, and the nights just become incredibly short. So it it still feels like you're having night and day but they're like stretched and compressed. So your day just feels super, super, super long. And your night is just like whatever sleep you can get. And then you start again and it doesn't, it doesn't feel wrong, but it does mess up your sleep cycle. So I know these last couple of weeks since I've been back, I've been for the first week, I was like awake in the night, having like hot sweats and stuff for at least mm. like two or three days after the race. And I know that's like something that most people have after the spine. Um, my my window for getting up and going to the toilet. So I've turned into an old man that has to go up in, in the middle of the night now and go for a wee. So I'd never, ever, you know, like in forever, I've never, ever had to like get up at sort of like three or four in the morning and, and go for mm. a pee. Um, but since coming back from the spine, I have. It's like my body is still not quite... No. got into the routine of knowing that you're going to sleep for a set amount of time and then it's okay that you can go through a wee then um, yeah. it's like it's still in still in the mode of if if we need a wee we need a wee whatever time it is so which is obviously what you were doing during the race yeah yeah and with that without going into too much detail um so that was num- number one so obviously <laughs> anywhere um number twos for the i was there's quite a weird thing that i didn't realize that, that this would be like this but number twos i only had two in the whole six six days okay so whether people want to know Love that or not chat. that's information that, yeah, yeah well if you know if you're doing the race and you're you know and you're worried about that kind of thing like well, why am i going to go for a poo am i going to have to need am i going to have to use my, my poo shovel um, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the reality yeah. is, yeah. you won't go, won't go very much because you. But I think your body is just like whatever food you put in, and it's just using and it's just, just turning into energy. And that's that. It's probably in shock. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I've got to hang on to everything that's coming in. Yeah, oh, yeah. food. Oh, fantastic. Um, well, what else is there? I mean, gosh, I mean, kit. Obviously- well, we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about my um, near-death experience. Oh, right. With the injury. I, I, I need to know. Yes. Tell me Tell me all. What <laughs> happened? Is this, is this a manly near-death experience or a real near-death experience? So it was, uh, it, it, well, it almost ended, almost ended my race, basically. Okay. So um it was on the thursday of the race so it was the section going from where was it going from it was a section lead from else from alston leading up to hadrian's wall which is like notoriously quite a boring section which is just yeah like fields farmers fields on the spine on the safety team yeah 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 bog it's not a lot yeah, bog and not a lot not a lot to see not a lot you know not great environment so not very interesting so 
it was probably about sort of five o'clock in the morning, sort of at that point where you're like super, super tired before the day starts to appear again, sort of thing. And you feel like a, a fresh sort of zeal for the day. Um, it was super cold. So that night it was, again, it was probably like minus 15, they reckon 13, minus 14, 15, something like that. Felt super cold and damp. Um, I was crossing a stone wall. Um, and I'd sort of got both feet over the top of the wall, got both feet on the other side on, you know, kind of the slabs that stick out where you, that you used to sort of climb up, up and over them. Yeah. And just as I sort of pushed myself off to, to, to sort of step down to the next step, both of my feet slipped from underneath me. Um, and I somehow managed to sort of fall forward uh, with my poles out, uh, sort of in an instant thought, it's okay, stick your poles out. So put my poles out. They hit the ground first. My left pole snapped instantly and I fell sideways from probably sort of about three or four foot high, fell completely sideways, um, hit the deck. So the ground was completely frozen. It was like concrete. Hit the deck, landed on my hip and then whacked my head and knocked myself out. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't until there, so there was a guy that I'd passed previously, sort of he was walking and I was moving fairly, you know, fairly fast. Not I say fast, it was, you know, as fast as you move on the spine. I, I was, you know, I was jogging, he was walking. Mm. Um, so I'd passed him and all I remember was just sort of slipping, hitting my head. Um, and the next thing I know, he's there and he's picking me up, trying to get me to stand up. So... We're not quite sure how long I was knocked out for. It may have only sort of been like 30 seconds or it may have been a couple of minutes. We don't we don't know. The, the safety team was sort of looking at the trackers to see if they could figure out how long it had been. But basically, uh, ASOC, um, he who's a, a Gurkha runner, and I've been oh, chatting I know to him. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's, coached, he's coached by Jack Scott. So we were talking about that sort of ran with him a little bit earlier on and we were talking about the podcast and talking about Jack and everything. Yeah. Um, so we sort of, we were friendly, um, but by this point I'd sort of left him walking and I'd sort of ran ahead. Mm. Um, so he, the next thing I know, he pulled me up trying to get me to stand up and I couldn't stand up. Every time I stood up, my left leg just gave, gave way and I fell over again. So this sort of went on for sort of like a couple of minutes um, and then I sort of came came to um and it was like what do you want to do do you want to get in touch with the safety team and stuff and I was like well was very aware at that point of how cold it was um you know if you sort of if something happens to you it was bad enough anyway with it being cold but I'd kind of gone into shock straight away Mm. and I knew that staying still was a bad idea I knew that I needed to keep moving to stay warm so so I said right I'll get another layer out so i grabbed another layer out of my bag and took my jacket off and got this other layer on, put that on, changed, uh, changed, I can't remember what sort of changed, got some, some of the bits of kit on and stuff just to try and keep, just to try and keep warm. Yeah. Uh, and then basically for the next sort of four hours, I just walked with him. So he gave me um, one of his poles. So I got two poles and he sort of went on with one. Um, and I just walked with him for probably about two or three hours, just trying to get my head straight. So um, I was aware that my head was warm and wet, 
And I was like, put my hand under my under my hat and re- like looked at my hand and realised it was covered in blood. Um, and I'd not even realised that I'd hit my hip. All I knew was that I'd hit my head. So I was, th- I was like, I'm okay. All I've done is sort of, I've hit my head. I'm bleeding. You know, I'll be okay. So I just kept going. the The sun came up. I started to feel feel okay again. And I just thought, well, I'm okay. Um, obviously not i've got any symptoms of concussion or anything i know where i am i know what i'm doing it's not like i've you know woken up and i haven't got a clue where i am or anything or what my name is i've had concussion before i know what it's like um and i just thought right i'll just uh, crack on and when i get to hadrian's wall there's a an sst point there i'll have a word with them and just just let them know that i'm the one that has fallen over because a few of the guys that had passed us had sort of said oh we'll, we'll tell the safety team that what's happened mm. and everything so they expect you yeah so i got there expecting to sort of um just sort of check in with them and just tell them that you know i'm the one that fell over and banged my head i'm okay don't worry yeah i'm safe to carry on but when i got there they they sort of said oh um just uh just come into the uh into the into the warm a minute and we'll just uh we just need to check with the medic uh, that everything's okay um so i went into the they've got the sort of the the visitor center there and they've got like a log burner going and everything so it was like really nice got in there had a cup of tea and stuff having a chat with them and the uh, sst guy goes off on the phone uh, and then he comes back in and goes okay i've um i've spoke to the medics um and we're, we're going to retire from the race and i'm like what, what? no <laughs> what? i thought he was joking i was well, like no, I one, no one had even inspected you no well this is the thing you see so um i was like I laughed and said, you're joking, aren't you? And he was like, no, no, um, like it's procedure that um, if someone's lost consciousness from a fall, then really we need to recommend that they retire from the race. And I was like, okay, I understand that, but I've carried on since it happened. This I've carried on for a further, so by this point, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. This had happened mm. at five in the morning. I was like, I've carried on running and walking for five hours and I've been okay. Yeah. I've come in here myself personally to tell to tell you what had happened. Mm. I could have just carried on running and just ignored you. Yeah. Um, wouldn't stop me. Um so I'm here voluntarily, but I I'm perfectly well enough to to do the race. And they were like, um, well, no, this is what they're saying. They're saying that you need to retire. And I was like, well. Um, fair enough. I'm happy to retire, but I want to be seen in person by a medic, not just the safety team. Yeah. I want them. I want somebody to come here and tell me that my race is over and and look look me over, um, thinking I could buy myself some more time. And they said, right, okay, I'll have a word with them. And um, he came back and says, yeah, there's a medic coming, but you may have to wait a while for them to turn up. So this was sort of like. 10, 10 11 o'clock in the morning so the medic came at three in the afternoon so i'd been there basically like, all day sat there waiting um but in the meantime i got all my kit off um i was drying it by the fire and everything i got all my gear all nice and dry and warm again and everything and I, i'd had some food sat down and i've been talking to the in the sst guys and stuff uh, having some photos and stuff and having a whale of a time but at the same time thinking must have been really anxious. yeah 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 thinking That's is tough. my race over and I, was, and I was you know talking to the the safety team and just saying 
you know, I understand if that's the decision, but I don't want to come back next year. I want to, I'm so far into the race. And by this point at Hadrian's Wall, you're nearly 200 miles in. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to come back. I don't want to cut it, it, fair enough it's a great run but i don't really want to come back next year i wanted uh, my plan was to get it done this year and move on to other things next year um and they were like okay just wait to see what the medic says and all, all due credit to the medic that came because she was instead of coming in with a preconceived idea that she was coming there to end my race she came in with an open mind and just said right Tell me exactly what happened. Um, when was it? How have you felt since? What's happened since since it happened? Mm. I did a, a battery of tests with me, checking my eyes, checking this, checking that. Um, and in, in the end, she was like, well, it's now been, you know, eight hours since it happened. If you were going to have any real symptoms of concussion, you would have had it by now. Mm. Um, I'm happy uh, to agree to let you go under the proviso that every checkpoint you get to every safety team you get to you get them to sort of give you the once over and make sure that you're still okay other than that it's your choice whether you want to carry on and i was like yes let's go <laughs> so Gosh, what kind of, yeah so it's sort of like half past three on thursday afternoon thinking my race was over i set off again uh, thinking oh, I've only got like an hour left of daylight whereas you know by that point I would have been right up at you know I'd almost been at Bellingham, Bellingham by that yeah. Point. yeah ready to sort of finish Friday in the day and um, you didn't get that time back at all no no they stopped no, the clock no. for you no they don't get this back. that's it the clock's going the whole time so basically you know I lost sort of eight hours um to just sort of sitting around basically and yeah. wait no not eight hours probably five hours i kind of i lost five hours but yeah. in the grand scheme of things you know like asoc he he carried on he stayed with me for a little bit at the um place uh, while the medics while the um safety mm. team were there and he carried on and, and and i must have put on a bit of a pace because i managed to almost catch asoc again at the end so he only came in like sort of 10 20 minutes before me oh, so wow. i made up those Okay. five hours that I lost I kind of made up anyway with the sort of determination to get to well, the end it but, had I mean the five hours I suppose in the warmth must have helped yeah that's it yeah rested then as well yeah. no I didn't sleep because it was the middle of the day and I didn't feel tired I just so I just sort of sat and had a load of food so in how a way it was like having tired? A... <laughs> <laughs> how can you not be feeling tired uh, no, I felt good because it was daylight. I kind of, I was all in the daylight, the day, daylight hours. I always felt good. It was always, it, it was only ever sort of in the, in the sort of twilight hours, the middle of the night and stuff where I sort of felt, felt the tiredness. Although having said that, I'd, after that point, I'd sort of put a pace on and got to Bellingham, tried to sleep at Bellingham, but it's, freezing cold there you've been to bellingham you've been you've seen the sleep room that they have there no. so bellingham is it feels like it outside even though you're inside um the room they've got heaters in there but it's just basically like a, a wooden shack so i'd got so i managed to use my um sleeping bag for the first time my criterium sleeping bag it worked perfectly absolutely ace oh, uh, yeah. really, really super warm so I've got to write that review for him. Um, so I managed managed to kind of get probably an hour and a half sleep there, probably 
probably in reality it's probably more like an hour um and then came out spoke to the medics again um faffed around with my kit knowing that this was the last push so from bellingham that's it you don't see you don't see your drop bag again until the finish so um i knew that i needed to get all the kit that i needed out of the bag if i needed any extra stuff i've got to have it there anything for the tbs yeah so i set off from there sort of in the early hours of, of friday um got down to so went through Kelder, Kilder, can't me how to pronounce it. Kilder is it? Uh, it's, a, it's a marathon, isn't it? From Bellingham to the end, roughly distance wise. No, no. So that's from from Burness. It's a oh, it's twenty five. Yeah, so it's like it's a forty mile. So for is it a forty mile leg or a thirty five mile leg? I can't remember. Okay, it might be like a forty mile leg. So it is a it is a decent chunk. Okay. Um, but it's it helps that you've got those markers. So you know that you've got to get to Burness and you know that there's a there's a safety checkpoint there where they give you food um, and there's the church where you can sleep. And then from there, you've got the 25 miles of the Cheviots, but that's broken into the two huts and then the finish. So yeah. it's almost like that last yeah. leg is is a decent chunk of mileage, like 40-odd miles. Yeah. But it feels doable because you know that you're breaking it up into those sections. So It's manageable chunks. Um, yeah, so I I, got, I went through Kilder Forest and I had my same uh, traditional hallucinations that I have on that section. So, so in the summer, I was uh, seeing black bears in the forest. So my mate Ben, you know Ben Wells, um, yeah. we, we wind each other about wind each other up about seeing bears and stuff. In he sees them in Wales and stuff, and and I I see them on the spine race. Um, so I saw loads of black bears. Um, for the first time this year, I saw a row of giant, absolutely huge uh, knights in shining armor that stood at the side of the trail, and they were impressive. Like tree, yeah, they they were like trees that had sort of, you know, when trees sort of have died and then they dry out and they go like silvery color. Yeah, and the sun was just sort of the sun was just coming on them at the right angle so that they shone sort of silver in the distance. And my mind saw. Um, knights in shining armor all stood at the side of the trail with big swords and stuff <laughs> so that was a that was a new one for me um but dropping down to burness um i felt really really tired dropping down to burness mm. um, to the points where i knew that i was gonna have to have a sleep once i got to uh, the church at burness so um i got down there went to the safety the SST point and um no in fact did they have a sleep they have a sleep first I can't remember I think I had to sleep first I literally got to the church and decided mm. that I just needed to sleep in there so that is just literally just a drafty old church tiny little thing um and everyone was just there was probably about four or five people in there sleeping and they just literally got the sleeping bags out and they were just laying on the floor in between the pews so I decided that I didn't really want to sleep for too long but I just needed a nap so I, all I did was take my bag off and my waist pack off and I lay on the wooden floor, like fully dressed, um, and just lay on my back and closed my eyes. And I probably nodded off for sort of like 15, 20 minutes uh, and then started to feel really cold. So I thought that's that's a good sign. I've had a little sleep. Um, 
I've been woken up by the cold. It's time to move on. So managed to get my kit back on, head down to uh, the SST point. They had some hot food there, so I had coffee and some hot food. Um, then I went back to the church and just put some extra because they only give you half an hour at the SST point. So by the time you've got in there and had some food, the time's ticking, and I wanted to just sort out my feet a little bit more. So I went back to the church, got out my final bits of K tape that I'd got, and just plastered all my mm. toes up that were that were rubbing, and just thought, "This is it. This is the last push." Nice. Whatever I can do to me is just going to last me to the end. Um, and uh, I set off there feeling like I'd had a little bit of a sleep and I felt refreshed a little bit by having some hot food uh, and made the climb up onto the Cheviots. Um, and that there's a little section on there that's like, uh, is actually like a bit of a scramble where you've got to get up, you know, use both hands and climb up. And then once you get onto the top, in the summer when I got on the top of there, it was blowing like blowing a gale up there and it felt like winter. But actually when I got on there this time, I realised that this really was winter. So <laughs> the wind was absolutely hammering it across. Mm. Like fifth, they reckon there was fifth, they reckon on Friday morning, it was like 50 mile an hour winds. And then Friday night, it was like 70 mile an hour gusts. So you were kind of, it's so windy that you're, you have you almost like using your poles to stop yourself from falling over from being blown over by the wind. Um, but I quite enjoyed that section. It was all right. I, you know, I got chatting to another runner. We sort of fell in pace for a little bit. I sped up a bit more. He caught up with me at the at hut one. I tried to not stay in there for too long because I know people sort of stay in there for the full half an hour. But I was. I could sort of, I could see the finish line at this point and I, I wanted to get done yeah. Friday. I didn't want it to come into the Saturday. So with all that time that I'd sort of lost having to wait at Adrian's Wall, um, I was keen to sort of try and make that time back up a little bit. So I literally just had a coffee in my in my plastic mug that I'd got, uh, set off again, put my foot down, got to hut two. By the time I got to hut two, my feet were hurting the climb down from um, from the Cheviot down to Hook 2, even though you're still really high anyway, that was kind of excruciating. Again, it wasn't as bad as it was in the summer because my feet were so blistered, but this time it was just like ice and snow, so it was mm-hmm. tricky to get down. But once you drop down onto the sort of level where the hut was, that was where the winds were. That's where the 70-mile-an-hour winds were. Uh, the, the guys, the SST guys sort of came out to sort of guide you into the hut to make sure that you weren't sort of blown over basically. Um, so it got us in the hut. There was probably like four or five people all huddled in there. I've got a couple of photos, you know, you see those photos of people huddled in the huts and stuff. Yeah. I had a cup of coffee and uh, set up again thinking, yeah, seven and a half miles. It's only going to take me an hour and a half to get down. Just drop down. <laughs> it took three hours, obviously. <laughs> Three hours to so you say you you're half concentrating on avoiding the wind and the wind not blowing you over and then you're trying to see where you put in your feet because it's just like sheet ice snow um just trying to make sure you don't stand in you know all sorts of stuff that's going to make you fall over um and then it was just a slow plod down to the road and then once you hit the tarmac that was all sheet ice and snow and everything, and you were having to avoid. You couldn't just walk down the down the road like you could in the summer. You were sort of going to the side, going through water and stuff. But by this point, you just like whatever. Doesn't yeah. matter now. 
And what does it feel like? It feels like Kirk, Kirk Yevon is a million miles away, even right up until the point where you come over the last brow, the last brow of the hill. There's like one final climb that you have to get up on tarmac. Uh, and then you go around a corner and then in the distance, you can see all the lights and everything. So you see the pub, the, the border hotel, you see all the banner all lit up and stuff in the distance. You can you can kind of make out people milling around and stuff with head talks on and everything. And you're just like trundling down this road and somehow you manage to be able to get the energy to run. And you just trot down and all the lights are all there. You trot through and, and it's over finally. And then you get to kiss the wall. And, the, and my family was there, the girls were there, Kate was there, and we just had a, a big hug and we had photos and went inside, got my medal and everything, got um, got a drink, took my shoes off, realised that I didn't really want to stay there. I just wanted to just I just wanted to be gone. They were like, do you want some food? And I was like, um, probably should eat some food, but I just don't want to be here any longer than I need to be sort of thing. Even though I love the race. Um, I'm not yeah. one for sort of getting sentimental with it, and I imagine myself like coming through the finish line and crying and feeling all the emotion of the race and everything like that. But I didn't. I just it's the same as in the summer. I'd had highs and lows, lots of lows, but as soon as I saw the finish line, I was just like, "Job done. It. done. It's fine. It's okay. I'm mm. just I'm done. I'm done. It's okay." So I kind of just was the mentality of, um. Mm. I'm happy to see everybody, see the media team and say hello to everybody, get some hugs and stuff. Yeah. But basically, I just like got my stuff. Kate brought the car around, I jumped in the car and we were back at the uh, at the Airbnb within like 15 minutes. Um, but I was still hallucinating. So the girls were laughing at me because we pulled up outside the Airbnb and I could see a woman stood with a bucket, just stood there holding a black bucket. And I was saying to the girls, "What's you know, what's that woman doing with that bucket? Why is she stood there with that bucket? I don't, I don't understand." And they're like, "Dad, Daddy, there's no, there's no woman, there's no bucket. What, what are you talking about?" What was it? Um, <laughs> and it was just like, just it was just the side of the house that like, like things just, like just like just merged. It was like a like a post box or something. It all just merged into, and I could see some woman holding a plant, holding a, a bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, and even once I got in, got in the Airbnb, got up the stairs, and and um, my wife Kate said, you know, do you want a shower? You need a shower. Do you want a shower? And I'm like, <laughs> and that's not an option. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just said I, I can't. I haven't got. I haven't got the energy, and I know how sore I'm going to be if I have a shower. All I want to do is just put some. So they'd brought my pajamas with me uh, for me. So yeah. I put my like pajama bottoms on and put my spine t-shirt on and literally just like rolled into bed. Um, and I closed my eyes and all I could see was just like I could see fields, I could see gates, I could see head torches, all sort of still shining in my brain. And the brain, yeah. you know, hadn't switched. Somehow, like managed to sleep. Um, and in the morning, I woke up and my pillow was covered in blood <laughs> from from my head injury. Your head. So I apologise yeah. to the apologise to the Airbnb host that I ruined probably ruined one of his pillows. So he didn't mark us down. So had, had you had that looked at? I mean, had it been like bandaged? Yeah, the med- yeah, the med- well, the medics had looked at it and they'd they they'd um, 
then noted that it wasn't an actual cut it was just it was just a scuff that uh, so it was like it was like a scrape so it's it okay. was a scrape sort of probably about sort of like a centimeter mm. wide um where my head had just hit the ground and it was more of like an impact thing so it did not fortunately i suppose wearing a wearing a woolly hat and a and a head torch had stopped some of the mm. some of the blood hitting yeah. the frozen ground okay. um but the, the thing that was the most disturbing was the was the lump that had developed on my hip so um i had not realized at the time but when i fell i'd landed on my hip first and then whacked my head right um, and I'd not noticed that while I was running until like later on in the race, I noticed that there was a lump that had just come up sort of the size of a, well, it's it, eventually it turned into this, the size of probably like um, not quite a tennis ball, like half a tennis ball sort of on my hip where it hit. Oh, right. Um, instantly I'd got bruising. So over the course of like the next sort of few days after the race, um, this bruising sort of spread across my front and down into my groin area <laughs> um, and uh, unusual colours uh, in places where they shouldn't be. Um, so that was quite, um, quite oh. disturbing. So on the, on the Monday, instead of going back to work, which I was supposed to do, um, I took myself along to a and because the, the medics sort of said, you know, your head is okay. That's fine. You'll have an egg there and you'll have a bit of a scab that will oh. heal up. The, the the hematoma that had, that had developed on my hip from hitting the ground mm. i needed to get that looked at if it didn't go down within a few days then they yeah. i needed to get it looked at and because it just kept growing and the bruise kept spreading i thought oh, i best uh i best get it looked at so i went and uh went and uh got myself down to a and e um mm. and just had them check it and they just said you know don't worry about the bruising that's literally like the blood draining down gravity um, is taking it down in that direction yeah it's nothing to worry about um but i've still got the i've still got the lump it's now the size of probably like uh, a golf ball on the side of my hip can we see it um hey can we see it <laughs> do, you, do, you really, do you really want to <laughs> go on go on as long as it's not too low <laughs> you probably can't see it actually no. Oh look! Oh yeah, no, that's horrible. Yeah, it is horrible. Yeah. Yeah, gross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's the bruising's gone, but the lump is is is, oh, weird, is still there. That's quite high, though, isn't it? That's not your hip bone. Well, it is right on the top of my hip. Yeah. So where the the very highest point of your hip bone, it's it's level with that. So I think that's where I must have just literally hit that and that ground. Yeah. So oh. all, all excited running games but um so i think you know on reflection you know it could have been could have been very different i mean i could have knocked myself out and not been found by somebody mm. Mm. you know being really knocked out i don't know whether i would have woken up in the cold or whether i would have just slowly got hypothermia while while somebody was coming i'd imagine obviously the safety team would have um, been alerted to me not moving for for more than yeah, 10, 15 or something. Well, um, I can, yeah, definitely. I think certainly from my time on the safety team, um, someone is watching every dot all the time, and and you know we would get the call the moment a dot hadn't moved for like ten minutes, 
it would be they'd be checking have they called in have they said they're going to have a sleep um mm. who's nearby um and yeah immediately you you kind of put you're put on alert right you're not, you know need to go and check this out so i think i think that's one of the you know it it is it's a it's an impressive logistical machine the whole event um there's just no doubt about it that that what the the level and the detail that goes into organizing everything is just mind-boggling isn't it yeah i think um i always a few people have sort of said to me you know did you not like do you not feel like super worried about you know the fact that you'd like fall and knock yourself out and stuff and, and where you were and i was like yeah uh, yeah the reality of it did sort of sink in but at the same time and uh, like you say you know that you're always being watched and that somebody's always there keeping so after after i'd had the the fall and i'd checked in with the sst and then the medic had let me go um every single safety team every single checkpoint that i got to they all knew ahead of you know ahead of me they're like ah you're 176 you're the guy that um that banged his head how are you doing and they always checked on me and just made sure that i was okay to carry on because that was basically the caveat that they gave me for carrying on was that you've got to check in with yeah. uh with all the safety and all the and all the yeah. medicines you, you got through. so yeah so full credit to the race for mm. you know and all that safety kit all the all the gear that you carry is all there for that reason you know the reason why you have a tracker even if you whinge about it digging into you and stuff, um, it's all there for your safety. And yeah, I, th- there was never a point where I thought I'm on my own. You know, there's always there's always somebody ahead of you, always somebody behind you, and always somebody watching you dot. So, so all in all, um, yeah. On reflection, I suppose I'm glad that I got to finish the race. I feel, feel like I was fortunate to be able to finish the race. It's probably a good thing that then there wasn't a medic there. Uh, and I had to wait because they probably could have made that decision and just said, no, you can't carry on you know, without giving me the chance to sort of wait for a, mm. eight hours to pass. So in, in some ways, it's probably it was probably a good thing. that uh, Although I felt like I wasted like half a day sat around doing nothing. Mm. In hindsight, it was the thing that let me finish the race. And, and I, you know, I've been very vocal about not going back again in any 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 hurry to do the race again i know that i can do it faster and i know i can make better decisions on sleep and things like that and food um so i know i could knock a day off if i went back Mm. but i don't need to it's fine you know i'm okay in fact next year i'm looking forward to being back on the media team and seeing getting to see all all the best bits of the race without all of the crappy bits (laughs) all the trauma and the horrible bits so i'm I'm looking forward to to getting back to hassling people that are a lot better runners than me and uh and seeing how they do the well how they do so well at the race and stuff so i I love the race I'll, i'll i feel like i'll always be around the race in one way or another but as far as doing it again i'll probably no, I'm going to leave. I'm def- leave. definitely going to. I don't need to do it again. Uh, I've had the full spine experience. I've had uh, John Bamber's spicy noodles at Greg's Hut. Yeah, you know, I've visited the lasagna Austin. Lasagna Austin. I've had every single bit of you know the spine experience that you can have. All the things that I get jealous of of the people that do the race every yeah. year. I've had it all. 
So and you had perfectly. I know it was cold, but you actually had great weather in a way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, good, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't good, yeah. spiny, yeah. properly snowy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, like interview, interviewing like like Damo a few times, you know, I remember him sort of saying that you always the cold and snow is the weather that you sort of envisage for the race and that's what you want. But the reality is it's probably going to be rainy and miserable and horrible. Mm. Um, So, you know, I'll, I'll take cold and snowy, super cold over rainy any day. So I'm, um, I'm perfectly happy with, with the race and there's, and and as I said on video, which my wife videoed me saying, I I won't, I don't need to do the race again. I've done it. (laughs) She's going to keep that. She's got video. Yeah, video evidence, and we say I'm not doing this again. Well, I d- yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it's great. I think you've done it. I mean, I'm. I'm still. I'm still. Don't not definitely not ready. I'm still very happy um, when I can to volunteer. Um, I, I still look at you guys doing it and just think, oh yeah, that's beyond me. Um, I think that- the, the fitness fitness side of it is. I think if you've not trained enough, you will suffer, but mm. you're going to suffer anyway. So I think it's like, an, I think it was just like another level of suffering that if you didn't train well enough for it, you would suffer. But yeah. everybody suffers. Jack Scott mm. suffered, no matter what impression he gives. Everybody, everybody suffers on that race, regardless of how fit you are. Yeah. But if you are fit, then it makes it a bit, it just makes it a little bit more doable. Yes. Um, my training, my training wasn't perfect going into it, but I was, I was happy with the mileage I'd done and the records and everything. I don't think I could have realistically done much more than I did. Ah, I remember uh, you going out. We spoke the night you went out on that fifty-mile night run, and I, I, I just remember thinking, "Wow, I mean, that's that's dedication to go off to do a yeah. training run, fifty-mile training run at night. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah, that's pretty was- good." <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way he's a coach as well in case you want to know <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend that to anyone as a, as a coach um but yeah that was just something i felt like i needed to do but um yeah as far as like i think so my my, my legs hurt for like the first 24 hours my quads were sort of really sore like getting into sort of whores um but then after that it just like the pain of your legs from running just seems to just kind of disappear weirdly mm. you kind of just keep going and the pain doesn't get any different doesn't get any worse but it doesn't really get any easier it's it's kind of a hard one to describe i think your body just gets into turns into a spine machine and you just keep going and i think that you know if you're complaining that your legs are hurting on the second day like if your quads are hurting and stuff that it's probably that you've gone too fast maybe mm. i don't know and then i mean but then you you know we saw that didn't we this year like the first like that group of 11 guys that were all out the front going as fast as they could only four of them finished the race yeah yeah <laughs> so Gosh. it pays it pays to be a bit a little bit slower at times <laughs> well definitely and are you i mean are you jogging are you still jogging towards um, the, in in bits i mean or are yeah, you yeah yeah there was there was there was plenty of times like i was um you know going over the chiviots there were sections that i was like i was i was I, you know i wasn't you know i wasn't running all out but i was running definitely yeah. there's yeah it's strange there's like some sections where it just feels there's some sections where you can't run 
you yeah. know, there's some impossible bits where it's, you know, you'd, you'd be crazy to try and run some of it because of the yeah, train. train. Yeah. That would just plod on. But there's some sections where, yeah, like going over the Cheevits with the flagstones and stuff when you could see them and you could run on them and you knew it was safe to run. Some bits that had sort of blown out by the wind and was just sort of grassy and stuff and you, you knew that you could run on it. Yeah, yeah, I was running and overtaking people on sections. Oh, most of the most of Hadrian's Wall I ran again this year. I did in the summer. That was one of the sections. That Hadrian's Wall is horrible because that's so undulating, isn't it? it is. Yeah, it is that, first, that first bit is. But there was a diversion because of the, you know, they diverted it because of the the sycamore tree. There's like a massive diversion in place. Oh, is there? Um, yeah, so you, you don't do some of the really up and down, up and down. It kind of takes you around the side of it. Oh, so no. that made made it a little bit easier. Yeah, I've got a photo that, of it. So. Is that for you? Is that for the race or is that just yeah, typically? Well, no, it's, it's actually it's, it is a proper diversion that's been put in place for the Pennine Way because of because of uh, keeping people away from, from the site. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I still got a photo. I still the photo I got was from a distance of it, but it's still, you know, the yeah. the iconic shape. Yeah, the, yeah. Basically, yeah. the trees missing in the middle. So, okay, the shame. Oh, well, shame. yeah, you need to send me lots of pictures. Um, yeah, I got some. I got some of the really good quality ones as well. I actually got some my hand in my pocket and paid for a, for a couple of the um, high resolution ones from uh, from Adam and and jamie but jamie actually i'm going to hold you to this he 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 sent me a message saying that he was going to let me have all of his photos of me for free so i'll hold you to that so well we'll do we'll do a big plug for jamie rutherford yes (laughs) uh and of course adam adam is uh uh wild aperture isn't he yes wild aperture yeah and then there's andrew Andrew, adam jacobs and then there's andrew hendry photography as well yeah. and then the hiking hairdresser sorry mate i forgot what your actual real name is at uh, hiking hairdresser everyone yeah. everyone follow the hiking hairdresser he'll get he'll get hopefully he'll get a ton of followers <laughs> <laughs> we want to i want to know who the hiking hairdresser is now i need to go and check his account um, out. Yeah, find, yeah find him on instagram yeah now uh, i will post those gloves oh. to him i promise <laughs> <laughs> yes do do oh well fantastic thank you sam um epic journey um mm. you you've you've underlined again for me that i yeah don't need to do it just yet um <laughs> um but never say never though never say never no no never say never never say never maybe when i grow up but um yeah thank you very much for talking to me that's all right no problem my pleasure